You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I have a bit of a confession to make this morning. I had two donuts and a cup of coffee for breakfast, which meant I was really wound up for the first service, but I'm kind of lagging for you guys. And I was thinking about that and thinking about my energy level might, may, maybe not be, might not be right where it needs to be today. But it's, it's interesting that when we look at our text of scripture today, there's a similarity. Okay, so, so follow me. A couple weeks ago, we were in 1 Corinthians 13. And I mean, if you're a preacher, you live to preach passages like that. I mean, to talk about God's love and to, and to share a passage that's so deep and rich and has so much substance. I mean, it almost preaches itself. Now, it doesn't. You got to work, but it almost preaches itself. And then here we are, if you will turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I have to tell you, from, from the perspective of sitting down at my desk at Monday morning and writing a sermon, um, chapter 8 is not nearly as power-packed, it would seem, at first glance, as 1 Corinthians 13. So from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians 13 is that chapter powered by Dunkin' Donuts. And then chapter eight of the second uh, letter to the Corinthian church is more like, you know, the downgrade when you're coming down off the sugar high, okay? Now here's why. We're talking about sort of the nuts and bolts of ministry in chapter eight. What we're talking about is we're talking about a an offering that's being collected. Now, Collecting an offering is an, an important thing and in some ways an interesting thing, but it's not 1 Corinthians 13 or John 3.16 or anything like that. It's really talking about a process. And if you'll remember last week, we, we set up the process by saying that you have a great need in Jerusalem. Okay, now follow me. We have a great need in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church is experiencing great need, financial, physical, spiritual. And so Paul has felt this burden to collect an offering for the saints in Jerusalem. And, and one of the churches that he asked to do this was the church of Macedonia. And the church of Macedonia, I mean, they hit a home run. They gave more than anybody would have anticipated. And Paul wants to celebrate that. But he also wants to use it as an illustration to the Corinthian church to say, in a very gentle way, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to step up to the plate? Totally different churches with totally different resource capacities. And he wants to challenge the church that has the capacity to give in a big way. He wants to, to just bring that generosity out. But what we need to realize is, is that before he can convince people to give big, he needs to explain the heart of generosity and a big part of the heart of generosity. It all boils down to leadership. It all boils down to the people who are asking for the offering. What, what are, what are, what are they asking for and what's the plan and what's the goal? And, and what's beautiful about this passage is, is that Paul wants to show that he and other leaders in the church 
other Christian leaders have the right heart. So notice this, when I'm preaching to you about generosity, I'm challenging you to have a heart of a heart that is generous, but that doesn't work if our hearts aren't connected, if, if we don't have faith in our leaders and moving forward. Now, I'm not preaching this sermon because I feel like there's a disconnect there, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to set the bar high for myself and the other pastoral staff here. I'm going to set the bar high for our elders, and I'm going to set the bar high for you. Because what I'm going to talk about today are kind of the characteristics of godly leadership as it relates to generosity. But every single one of you, sooner or later, you're going to be in a leadership position in your home, maybe in your business, whatever it is. And these lessons are not just for the leadership. These are lessons for each and every one of you. If you want to be a person used in a mighty way by God, I think these four principles I'm going to cover with you today will help you in that regard. So let's take a look. And if you'll stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word, I'm going to read this passage to you. Now, listen to me. Today, I'm going to have to dig a little deeper into the text to show you these things, okay? So this is what we call exegetical preaching, which is a fancy word for saying we're going to, we're going to get out our shovels and we're going to dig into this word because right beneath the surface, actually, are amazing truths that I think could really transform your life today and in the days to come as God begins to use you. What I said earlier about Sam and Lisa being called to the ministry and you too, if you'll listen to these words today, I think God could just do a great work in your heart. These are fundamentals of, of Christian leadership and Christian service. So let's take a look. Notice he starts off with praise, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the, by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Let's pray. God, in this passage, uh, we are introduced to Titus and to two uh, brothers whose names aren't even mentioned. But what we see in this passage is a, a, a beautiful picture of leadership and of generosity and what, what, what builds generosity in the congregation. And so, God, I ask that you will open our hearts and help us to see this today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we see here, this passage is really rooted and grounded in the gravel of earth. We're, we're dealing with a very specific historical situation, but we also need to realize that specific historical situations in the New Testament, God recorded them for a reason. There's a reason why this story is given to us. And one of the things we're going to see in this passage is, and that we see throughout all of the Bible is, is that the gospel is perfect. The message that we preach is flawless. Okay, get that church. Are you hearing me? The gospel is flawless and perfect, but the people who are leading you are not. I mean, you, 
I know many of you think that I'm perfect. I, I appreciate that. I really do. Not even a laughter. So that really fell flat. Thank you. <laughs> I want you to know how much you guys encourage me when you don't laugh at my jokes. Really appreciate that. But, but you know better and I know better. You know, I love you, but you ain't perfect either. Okay. So we're on the same page. We get it. All right. I hope that didn't hurt your feelings, but you hurt mine first. So there we go. Here we are. Um, we're not perfect, but the gospel is perfect. And, and, and our, our purpose is never to promote ourselves. Our purpose is kind of like John the Baptist, where we're just pointing people, hey, don't look at me, but look at Jesus. That's, that's the job. That's, that's our goal. And so when we think about that, um, we, we need to realize that as we are leading, in whatever capacity we're leading, we want to make sure um, that um, we're encouraging people to be generous, but we're being prudent as leaders, showing people that we're people of integrity, so when we talk about giving, whether it's to the budget or to any project or program or anything that we do, we want you to know uh, it's important for us to communicate to you and to show to you that our heart is right. In other words, God calls certain men uh, to, to be pastors and he calls men and women to be leaders in the church in various capacity. And, and he gives those individuals vision. And, and I'll tell you, I, I wish that I had like a direct, you know, one of those red phones that you see in the movies where you get to talk to the president or something. It would be great if I had one of those phones where I had direct, clear information from God about the vision of our church. But hear this, I spend time on my knees and our elders spend time on their knees and our pastors spend time on their knees and and other leaders. We are seeking what God wants. And what we need to show you in our lives is, is that not only are we seeking God in prayer, but, but as we're going through ministry, we're doing so and going through life, we're going through it with, uh, with integrity in our hearts and in our lives. I understand that. I mean, there, there is a, a burden that comes with leadership. But as we go through this today, I want you to realize that there's also a burden that you have to bear too in just following Christ. Integrity isn't just good enough in the pulpit. It needs to be in the pew as well. We need to be men and women of integrity. And, and I believe that this church has been gifted with great ministers, elders, deacons, and church members. But hear this. If the church is being asked to give, I want to make sure that, that, that the leaders are worthy of the, of the stewardship of this gift, that you as a congregation feel that, that we're on the same page. That doesn't mean that we agree with the exact process or anything like that, but that, that we know one another's hearts to know. I don't maybe see it exactly like you do, but we're, but we're together, that we see that there's no a sliding of hand or that, that we're all on the same page. And I think this passage shows how serious Paul is about that very same thing. Now, I write this, I wrote this passage uh, on this passage of scripture months ago, uh, six weeks ago at least. And, and so I want you to realize that as I was writing this, I was just really thinking about, wow, look at this passage and look what, how far Paul goes to show that he is, is on the right page, that he is doing what God wants. This is a very, very good lesson for us today. And let's talk about the very first point here. In verses 16 and 17, and then if you skip down to verse 23, I think we have a really clear picture here that the heart of generosity begins with a heart for people. So when we're talking about giving and we're talking about working together toward a common goal, a vision for the church, one of the uh, essential elements that we need to look at is, is do we have a heart for people? Are we doing what we're doing because we love lost people. We love people. Now we know that Christ died to save people from their sins. So at the heart of the gospel is a love for human beings. We, we, we cannot deny that fact. 
Okay, so when we're talking about being generous, we need to make sure that our generosity is aimed in the right direction, that everything we give, time, talents, whatever it is, uh, treasures, we are doing it because we love people. And that's, that's the purpose of all of our giving, of all of our going. We want to see lost human beings come to know Christ. And when they come to know Christ, we want those lost human beings to grow in Christ. We do that because we love people. I believe that, that here in the first and second letter to the Corinthians, Paul shows his love for the people of Corinth. Now, that's saying something. Because this church had caused him much pain. If you took the time this afternoon to read these two letters, you would find that, that you hear a pastor's heart and the concerns that he has for people who are really breaking his heart spiritually. Uh, this, this is a church that had so much promise, but they were the problem child of the, of the Pauline churches. They, they seem to put the emphasis in the wrong places and all those things. But, but it's very clear that even though they have not done well in the past, Paul loves them. Now, if you are a parent in this room, you know that that's just the love of a parent. Uh, you can watch your child fail, but that doesn't keep you from loving them. You know who they are. You know the potential that they have. And I really feel that in the passage. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 16. It says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. I want you to underline if you have a pen or pencil, that phrase earnest care. That, that little phrase there is, is very deep. The word earnest in particular can also be translated zealous. It's an emotional word. It stresses love in action. Now notice the context. He's saying that Titus has the same kind of zealousness and love as Paul himself has for the Corinthians. So it's important that as Paul even introduces Titus, who's kind of the point man on collecting this offering, he is saying, know this, I love you. And the guy that's going to be working with you for this offering, Titus, he loves you too. He is a man of love. Titus's job was hard. He was the money collector. It's never fun to be the money collector. You know, working for the IRS can't be fun, okay? It's never fun to be the money collector, but that's what he's called. But he is in love with the people of God. And he knows, here's the thing, Titus understands that collecting an offering uh, for the Jerusalem church is also an opportunity to challenge the church in Corinth to grow in grace through giving. And so Paul and Titus love the Corinthians enough to challenge them to sacrifice because when you, as a believer, learn the art of sacrifice, when you learn how to give, a, a leader knows that when a person learns how to give, they grow exponentially. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to learn the joy of sacrifice. And so he's eager. Look at verse 17. For he not only accepted, uh, Titus did, our appeal, but being himself very earnest or eager is another way to translate that word. He is going to you of his own accord. Paul and Titus are both eager to see the Corinthians become great givers because they know that as 
growth in giving increases, so will their love for Jesus and for lost souls. Now skip down to verse 23. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking at them. We always want to look at our Bibles. We always want to see what the text has to say to us. Verse 23 picks up again on Titus, okay? And it says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And I want you to see that for your benefit. You see, the ministers we have at Ridgecrest and anybody that serves us, they're here not to serve themselves. We are here as as servants of the body of Christ. We serve Jesus and we serve the body. And that's important. When we have a church that's generous, um, we're seeing that generosity in our leadership where we're pouring into people and we're showing that, that we love them. In other words, my ministry here, what I do at Ridgecrest is not for my sake, but it's for the benefit of the church. The, the, the preaching I do, the discipling I do, that's what our leaders do. But here's the thing. Each one of us need to be thinking about our lives in the context of the church and how we're benefiting other souls. What are you doing? What are you doing to benefit your brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, what we tend to do when it comes to critiquing church, we critique the guy that does the preaching and rightfully so. But sometimes we need to ask ourselves We need to critique our own hearts and ask, what is it that I'm doing that's showing that I have a generous heart for other people? Where are you connecting in the kingdom? Where are you taking opportunity to share love? Every one of us have a role to fulfill. And we need to realize that that loving others means we have no ulterior motives. We, we, don't, we don't love people so that we get something in return. We love people because Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And that's what we need to do too. We need to always be asking how, more, how much more we can show our love for people. And so it's no accident that at the heart of generosity, there is a heart of love. Love is the core of all of our giving. Financial resources are necessary, a necessary part of our lives, but what people need most is genuine love. And I'm going to challenge you today. Be a, be a generous giver. Write the check that God calls you to write. But more than that, just give your heart to people. Invest your heart in people. That's what we need to do. What will make Ridgecrest great is not the amount of money that we have in a bank account or the amount of money we can raise in a year or anything like that. It's really how much love can we expend, uh, give out to our community. It's hard to measure that. You can't put a decimal point on that, but that's okay. We're not, we're not trying to keep score with other churches or the world. Let's be the church that is loving well. Let's be generous in our loving. And I think God will bless that. Paul is asking the Corinthians to dig deep for the kingdom. But I think he's not asking them to dig deep in the pocket. But right here, love being the motivation. Macedonia being the model. That they're they're giving. It wasn't an expression just of financial sacrifice. It was an expression of the heart in love with Jesus and in love with hurting saints. A heart for people made this ministry possible here in 2 Corinthians 8, but it'll also make ministry possible at 
at this time, at this day, at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. There are hurting people all around us. And yes, like Paul, we as leaders of the church are asking the church to make sacrifices. But I want you to know the sacrifices that we're asking for are not for financial gain, but for the possibility of sharing the love that we have with our community. That's what we want to do is communicate that we love our neighbors and we love them well, that we're going to care for them. But here's the thing. This is where we, we, we cannot make a mistake here. I can preach all day long about loving our neighbors. But the second point I want to make is this. A generous heart has, has a heart of love for, for the other, for people, but also has a heart for the gospel. Hear me. Call, uh, calling out to people and, and, and telling them that we love them is a wonderful thing. But caring for people, um, it, 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 that's a great thing too. But ultimately, what we need to do is realize that people need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to just be a church that, that, that takes care of the needs, physical, and, and that's part of what a church does. But the temptation in church history has been to be so focused on, on doing ministry that directly connects with people's physical needs that we get to the point where we, we fail to share the gospel. I, I was having dinner last night with some dear friends from DeSoto and we were talking about the, you know, we all do this, kind of the old days, the glory days. And we talked about when we used to go through the faith evangelism training program. Some of you might be old enough to remember that when we had an, uh, the faith evangelism training program. And it wasn't a perfect program, but I'll tell you what it did. It got people out sharing the gospel. And that was a good thing. It was a good thing because, again, sometimes in the church, we start thinking about helping people in a physical way. And we forget that our main job is to preach the gospel. Now, I want to tell you that when it comes to the ministry we do here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, I believe in doing powerful ministry that, that draws people in. Listen, we need to celebrate the fact that we had 220 women at a women's event Friday night. That is awesome. There is nothing wrong with that. I celebrate that. I, I am so excited about what God's doing in our women's ministry. But I think God's blessing that women's ministry because we're not just having meals, but we're sharing the gospel. Everything we do, it's not just about gathering people to have a good time or to alleviate some form of suffering in the community. We need to realize that we are a church and we are called to share Jesus. We can never get away from that. Yes, care for people. Yes, alleviate suffering. But ultimately, never forget that every person we talk to has an eternal soul. That Jesus cares deeply about. He cares deeply about that soul enough that he's put the church in this earth, on this earth, to, to be a, a vehicle of the gospel, to tell that message. Now, here's the thing Do we love people enough to share the gospel with them? The most unloving thing you can do for your neighbor is to not tell them about Jesus. You could pay their bills. You could watch their kids, which may be more important to that family than paying their bills. I don't know. You could do everything in the world for that family. But if you don't share the gospel with them, you've given them a temporary hope with no eternal reality. We want to make sure that we are gospel focused. Now look at the text with me at verse 18. With Titus, with him, we are sending the brother, okay, don't know his name, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, here's what's interesting. 
We're talking about an offering. Okay, that's a money thing. That's a ministry thing. And then Paul says, but I want you to know, part of the team I'm sending you to collect this, we're sending a preacher. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I think a couple preachers I know would agree with me. I know a few preachers that are worth, worth something more than this, but most preachers like me, when it comes to practical things, we're pretty worthless. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. You know, if you need something fixed, probably not your guy, okay? Uh, when it comes to handyman stuff, yeah, God didn't give me that. And so when we come here to this passage of scripture, it's kind of interesting. I, I kind of feel it here, okay? Because it says, hey, we're sending you one of those guys that preaches and he's not worth anything else. He, he's, he's not going to help with any other ministry. He's, he's famous for preaching. So basically what that means is he's a real good talker, okay? But I laugh about that. But listen, what's Paul telling us? I think he's telling us that even in the collection of an offering, the preaching of the gospel is the most important thing. And I can say it and be self-deprecating about my lack of abilities in certain areas, but I want to tell you, God anointed me to preach the gospel. And that's my skill set. That's who I am. I know that. And I'm okay with that. And, and you may not know what your gift is, but I want to encourage you to find it because it's important. But ultimately, in the gathering of an offering, he sends a preacher. Because I think what he's trying to say to us is, it's not enough to have a heart for people. It's not enough to have pockets filled with cash. What we always need to do, no matter what we're doing, no matter what ministry we're after and what we're trying to accomplish, we need to preach the gospel. We need to make sure that this place is saturated with the gospel. I'm going to tell you, I don't care if people talk about how great our ministries are, if we have this or we have that. I want people to know that Ridgecrest Baptist Church, when they come here and they bring their friends and their neighbors, they're going to hear the gospel preached. They're going to hear it sung. They're going to hear people praying gospel themes. They're going to be saturated with the gospel. Because that's what generous hearts do. Generous hearts love people enough to tell them about Jesus. And so the other side of that coin is to challenge you here is if you're not sharing Jesus, don't lecture anybody else about their lack of love in their life. Don't ever lecture somebody about giving more money or doing more, giving more time for a, a ministry when, when we're not sharing Jesus. Now, it's important for us to pause here parenthetically and look at verse 19 one more time. I did highlight this earlier when we were talking about Sam and Lisa. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, which I think is preaching the gospel more than anything, that is being ministered by us. But it's also the offering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Now, I want you to see this. Paul is saying, the, man, the men I'm sending you, and this man in particular that's a gospel preacher, he, he has been appointed by the church. Those who are called to serve, when they, are, when they have the backing of a congregation, that means something. If we're just lone rangers out there, people say, well, what church are you attached to? Well, I'm not attached to any church. Well, how can they trust that you're, you're going to be telling them the truth? Well, when I go out, when I preached this week at, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, when I preached the week before at the Missouri Baptist Convention, I want to tell you something. One of the things that they highlighted was that I was the senior pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. You know what that means? <laughs> like it or not, if you watch the videos, you might not like it. But anyway, because um, I don't know how bad the preaching was. But, but what, what I'm saying here is, is when I'm preaching, I'm telling people that I have been approved by you to be a minister of the gospel. 
that, that I represent Christ, yes, but I am also an extension of your heart, that you have placed trust in me to preach the gospel to you week by week. That means something. That's deep and that's rich and that's what the church does. We, uh, we appoint, we vote for people. This person was a famous person but because he spoke well. But, but the glory of God, I think, is because he represented the churches well. And we need to understand that, that the church is not the church if the gospel is not being proclaimed. And so we must make sure that Ridgecrest is a church that is filled to the brim with love. Yes, as we said in our first point. But also we're pouring out gospel truth in all that we do. We need to be a gospel-centered church. And I believe that we are. And we need to continue to be. Now let's come here to our third point, And that is a heart receptive to accountability. A heart receptive to accountability. Now when it comes to collecting offerings... It's important that there are levels of accountability. So let me just tell you here at, at Ridgecrest, we have a team uh, that, that is responsible for that. We have checks and balances. We believe in accountability. So I would say that's a, a real practical application here. But I want you to realize that even with Paul, he is taking great pains to show that when a church is giving and being generous, that there are checks and balances and levels of accountability. Now, here in verse 20, um, let's, let's focus on verse 20 for just a moment. We take this course, he says. Now, I think, again, he's talking about Titus. He's talking about the famous brother who's the preacher. He says, we take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Now, there's a couple of things we want to get at here. We need to realize that, that Paul is saying that Titus, Paul, Titus, and the famous brother who can preach, um, they are, are agents of the church. I mean that in a good way, that they are representatives of the church and, and, and being held accountable. And he says, the reason why is because I think they're collecting money. We take this course. Now, I want you to see that phrase. Do you see that in verse 20? Here's the picture of the original language. The, the original language is painting this picture. To take the course is the image of a sailboat. Get a sailboat in your mind, a small sailboat. And imagine that sailboat trying to navigate through a very narrow channel that's curving. Now, the picture in the Greek is of a sailor who knows what he's doing and he furls the sail, which is a fancy way of saying he shortens the sail so that he can control the action more completely. And what he does is he furls that sail is he can make a course through that narrow passage and be safe. So what God's word is telling us here is, is that when, when offerings are being taken, when we're doing the work of ministry, we have to be very careful. We don't want to do something that could cause blame. We take this course that no one, verse 20, should blame us. Listen, a leader, a person in the church needs to have a heart that is receptive to accountability. We need to be willing to hear from others. Our aim uh, is, is to be God-honoring in all that we do. As a leader, Paul wants to think through every angle so that the integrity of the gospel cannot be called into question. Here at our church, and I don't want to get into any details about the past. There's no need to do that. But I think you understand what I'm saying. When... when Leaders get away from accountability. 
it can lead to a terrible, terrible pain for the church. And, and so here's the thing. This is true for me, but it's true for you as well. We can talk about how we're generous and loving people. We can talk about how we're generous in sharing the gospel with our neighbors. But I want to ask you, how generous are you at putting people around you who will hold you accountable? who will challenge you when you are speaking in a way that's not loving or perhaps even just being untrue to your biblical convictions. Paul shows us in this passage that he's charting a very careful course and he's making sure that there's accountability partners around him. Again, Titus, uh, this this person who's the gospel preacher and as we're gonna see, one more uh, brother who's unnamed but said to be tested, um, whatever that means, uh, but, but he's surrounding himself with good people. And so we can talk about generosity and we can talk about stewardship and accountability and giving, but I'm just going to ask you right now, who, who are your accountability partners? Who are you inviting into your life so that your life can be a life that, that shines for Christ? Don't think for a second that you don't need it, that you say, well, I'm not like you, pastor. I'm not in the pulpit. I'm not a leader in the church. Hear me. The devil loves to destroy souls and he doesn't matter what their position is. If he can destroy you, he'll do it. And the only way that you can continue to be the generous Christian that God's called you to be is to submit your heart to accountability. You, if you're going to make a difference for the kingdom, you need to be willing to humble your heart around those who have humbled their hearts to the word of God and to the spirit of Christ. Never be afraid to humble your heart to people like that. You need to make sure that you are submitting to one another and even to the will of the church. I mean, here, uh, as I've said, you know, the church was, was the accountability partner in its own right because they had voted on this one brother. The will of the church matters. The body of Christ has a voice and that voice must be heard. And we need to understand that, that God works through a congregation. And I believe he speaks through something like a vote. He speaks through that and tells us his will. That's part of the process. And we all, I know for me, I need to listen. I need to listen to you. Now, I'll just say this, and I mean it. I'm not saying this in a negative way whatsoever. The last couple of weeks have been really powerful for me because I've had some people who have loved me enough to talk to me about some hard questions about vision and where we're going. And I think that those conversations have made me grow. And I think the people I've talked to, I've seen them grow too. It's been an incredible thing. It is amazing when we are loving with one another and hold each other accountable. That's what generosity is. It's not just loving people. It's not just sharing the gospel. It's also holding one another accountable. Because ultimately, what we want is for Christ's church to grow stronger day by day. And I'll tell you this. Good leaders, good church members, love accountability because there is nothing to fear when you are operating under the fear of the Lord. You know, when I think about that statement, I think about how many times I'll I'll go into a meeting and I think there might be some tension in it. And one of the things I have to tell myself is, is I love the people in this room. From all I can tell, these people love me. There's nothing to fear. The truth and love can overcome any problems. 
And so if a church is going to be generous, we, we have to be a church that also is accountable one to another. Now, very quickly, the last point is this. The, the heart of generosity is a heart tested and found earnest. If you have not been through trials in your ministry, then it's really hard to say at this point uh, what, what, you, what you're really made of. Um, one of the reasons why in the scriptures we are told not to hire a novice for the person who does this job is, is because really the only way that a leader can become a true leader is when they get beat up a little bit. Now, I'm not inviting you to beat me up. I've already been beat up enough, er- ergo the gray hair. But anyway, um, I don't need any more stress in my life. But, but the, the truth is, is that we need leaders who are tempered by the difficulties that occur in the church and in life. Look at verse 22 with me. And with them, we are sending our brother. Here's another, a third individual whom we have often tested. Okay, so he's saying that we've tested him, but, but I think you could just say more generally, tested, uh, you know, in, in life, in, in the world, and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of the great confidence, of his great confidence in you. So he says, you know, this brother, he's been tested We've tested him. We've seen that he is for real. And we see that he has been found earnest. And Paul says one of the reasons why we know he's earnest is because he loves you. And this love for you is evident. That's a powerful thing. So let me just say this uh, quickly here. Is that, you know, when we think about our lives, I know that many of you don't want to experience any pain in life. And I get it. But realize to be the man or the woman that God wants you to be, you're going to have to make it through some difficult days. If you're not leaning into the lament, the laments of the Psalms every once in a while, that just means you're not paying attention. But those moments of trial, those moments of disagreement, even in the church, I think sharpen us and make us better. Hearts refined by the tests of life have the potential for great generosity. Now I'll tell you, I think that this church, what it's been through, let's just say the last 10 years, the ups and downs that we've gone through. If we take this from a personal application to a corporate application, I would say that our church has been tested. And let me tell you, after 11 months, my diagnosis, I think we've been tested and we've been found to be earnest. We are ready for what's next. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I have a a general idea, but even Friday when I was vacuuming the floor, I had another idea, so watch out. We'll call it the vacuuming idea, all right? We won't go any further with that analogy, but anyway. So we, I believe that God is speaking. He is moving in my heart and in our hearts. And and I'm excited because I know that the church that God's called me to, this isn't a church that's that's, um, been untested. This isn't a church that's only had its way. This is a church that's had to pray its way through some storms. And I'm smiling right now because that means we have some awesome potential. And I hope you believe that as much as I do. So let me wrap this up. What we're talking about here is in verse 24. Paul says, so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. So so, so Paul tells the Corinthian church, hey, uh, let's, let's, let's show proof. Not only to me, but to the churches of your love. Let's, let's back it up with action. Now, how do we prove to the world that Jesus is, is, is our sinner, that, that we are generous people? Let me just show you this slide right here. What does it look like? Well, we prove to the world that Jesus is our Lord when we love people well, 
As we said earlier, we preach the gospel faithfully, we submit to accountability, and we submit ourselves to the trials that we may grow. So really, that's it. We, we, when we look at what we need to do as a church moving forward in the days to come, we need to love people well. We need to be gospel preachers. We need to submit to accountability, each one of us. And we also, we need to submit our hearts to grow through trials. And all of this is a perfect application if you're a believer. But I really feel strongly about finishing in a slightly different way. Friday, as I was studying these notes and thinking about this time that I was going to talk with you, I realized that this is a sermon that really speaks to our congregation and those of you who are in Christ. But I know that when we come together, there's always that possibility that that someone's in here that's really trying to find their way spiritually. And we can talk about the generous spirit, but and you can you know, connect with the idea of loving someone and you can connect with the idea of accountability or getting stronger through trials. But that second point that I mentioned there, what is the gospel? You can't preach the gospel faithfully if you've not been saved by the gospel. And so really this invitation is twofold. Mostly, most every Sunday it is where we give you as a, as a congregant, as a member of the church, an opportunity to respond to the gospel message and to fine tune what God's doing in your life. I want to invite you to do that. But I also want to invite you here today if you need not just a fine tuning, but you need a new life in Christ. I, I want to tell you that the, the, the generosity that's contained within you cannot be released apart from the spirit of God working in you and you being saved. The last few weeks have been very hectic for me. I've, I've had a lot of traveling and, and preaching to do here, there, and yonder. And, and, and so here's how I have felt. I feel like I've been kind of shoveling out energy and knowledge and whatever else is, is in me. Um, and I haven't been, been putting things back like I should. So this, the end of this week, things slowed down just enough. Uh, and so for me, uh, what do you do when things slow down enough? I went to the bookstore and bought a stack of books this thick. That's what I do when I slow down. And I was reading an old sermon preached by one of my heroes of the faith. And he said something that God told me to share with you this morning. The question really is this morning, if you don't know Jesus, is there something missing in your life? Have, have we, as we've been talking about the gospel today, do you, do you feel that that is what's lacking? The analogy that, that, that I read that really grabbed my heart is this. If you knew you had a physical ailment, if you knew that you were sick and there was a way to get a cure, let's say it's a sickness that would lead to death and you knew there was a cure, you would do everything in your power to preserve your life. But it's sad that when it comes to your soul, some of you are being careless with your soul. Here's the thing. I believe that the cure to your heart's struggles is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus lived and died and rose again. That is the medicine for your soul and nothing else will suffice. Those of you who, who in your mind, you would say, yeah, if I knew there was a way to preserve my physical life, I would move heaven and earth to get it. Right now, I hope the spirit, if you don't know Jesus, is convicting you because you, you've listened to the gospel maybe before. You know that about Jesus, but when it comes to the, to, to the condition of your soul, you've not been moved. You would do anything to preserve your life, but you're not doing anything right now to preserve your soul. And all that you can do is cry out to Jesus for he alone saves. Thanks for listening. 
For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.